Welcome to the New Kind of Man podcast. This is episode 40. In this episode, we are learning how to become a king with Morgan Snyder. We're discussing his book called Becoming a King. It's a great conversation. You are going to enjoy it, no doubt. Well, occasionally, whether it's on Instagram or through Facebook or uh, somebody just reaching out to me, they always kind of ask me the question, hey, what books are you reading right now? So I want to give you a, a real quick uh, a flash by the books that I'm reading in case you're interested. Uh, one of the books that I'm reading is actually on prayer. It's called How to Pray, A Simple Guide for Normal People by Pete Gregg, G-R-E-I-G. It's a really good book. I'm about halfway through it. Learning how to pray, different ways to pray. Uh, I can become very rigid in my prayer, and this allows me to be more elastic uh, in my prayer and, and thought of prayer and practice of prayer. So that's why I'm jumping into that uh, and way into it, halfway done or so. Uh, also, another book just on the business side of things is called Measure What Matters. It's how Google, Bono, and the Gates Foundation rock the world with OKRs. OKR stands for Objectives and Key Results. So I'm digging into this, not only for the work that I do full-time at the church, but then also what I'm doing with the new kind of man of thinking, how can I apply this and break down uh, clear-cut objectives and then get some clear results, and that way I know that I've accomplished what I'm trying to and then the last book that I'm reading right now is a book called Lincoln by David Herbert Donald. It's really good, uh, best-selling biography of Lincoln. It's a really dense book. Taking me a long time to get through that, but those are the books that I'm reading as of late. I am enjoying them, and uh, maybe you will too. I don't know. So uh, if you want to, send me a message, chad at com, and let me know, hey, what is... Uh, what's a good book that I should be reading? Maybe it's a book that's inspired you. If you are also connected with me on Instagram, send me a DM and just let me know what books you're reading. Again, we are all in this journey together. As a matter of fact, the New Kind of Man podcast and the New Kind of Man movement is to help all of us to grow, which is why I get people like uh, people who are successful in business or Navy SEALs or experts in in a given field that will help us to become new men. This is the reason why I get such high-caliber guests on the show, and today is no different. Morgan Snyder has worked with John Eldridge at uh, at his work called Ransomed Heart, and they've worked together for over 20 years. I believe he was actually mentored under John Eldridge. Much of what you hear Morgan talk about today sounds like something that John Eldridge would say, but what I committed to Morgan at the end of this podcast is I feel like becoming a king is like it's the 201 version of Wild at Heart. So uh, he took that as a compliment and I meant it as a compliment. So hopefully you will enjoy this conversation and that you will be spurred on to go buy the book and apply principles from this podcast and what he talks about of how to become a king. Well, this is the New Kind of Man podcast, and today I have on Morgan Snyder, who is a someone really who works alongside John Eldridge at, uh, at his in his ministry at Ransomed Heart. And Morgan, how long have you been at Ransomed Heart? I've been partnering with John for twenty two years. Mm, twenty two years—that's amazing. So much of uh, of probably my my growth that has spurred out of Ransomed Heart, really, you may have had a hand in. So I say thank you. 
Oh, Chad, it's an honor. We feel like God's entrusted something beautiful to our care. Um, and, you know, it, 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 Chesterton says that every generation loses the gospel and this path of life and every generation is charged with its recovery. Mm-hmm. And we feel like there is a unique anointing for us um, in this generation to help recover what God meant when he meant masculinity. And we are a small tribe and um, we're growing in influence and stature, but not in size uh, because we really feel deeply called to invest in men like you as you shape tribes of God's kingdom in places like Georgia and through this podcast. And so um, it's an honor and a privilege and that's what we live for. Yeah. Amen. So tell us a little bit more about you and your context. Of course, you know, you with Ransomed Heart, but then you, what's the personal life look like? Your family man, how old are your kids? How long have you been married? Those kinds of things. Yep. 20 years to my bride, Sherry. Uh, My son goes through his 16th year rite of passage next week and will be handed the keys to a car that he has earned and worked for in a landscaping business during COVID-19. And my little fiery princess, Abigail, uh, goes through a rite of passage tomorrow, Mm -hmm. um, turning 13. So it's a big month in May. Uh, Chad, I think maybe a helpful place to go in. That's the passion of my life. Uh, um, my, My intimacy with God and being an, a son and being an apprentice in, in the way of the kingdom is what I, I live and breathe for. And from that place, I really am passionate, believing that the first expression of the church that I'm entrusted to care of is my wife and my kids. And from that, um, yeah, I have a handful of like-hearted allies that I do daily life with, five of them, that um, we've signed treaties. And when they are at war, I'm at war. Mm -hmm. And from that circle, I've got mentors, and John is among them, that are very uh, close, intimate friends that I've cultivated over the years, and men that I mentor. And then there's a larger circle of men that I have the privilege of getting to shape and be shaped by, that are other like-hearted leaders like yourself, But I think, Chad, to give it context at 30,000 feet, I was a young, gifted, broken boy that was grew up in a loving home, but it was a a home that was not centered in the reality of God and his kingdom. It was a lot of brokenness, and I won the game of the world. And I remember my senior year in high school, actually, I'd won it all. I'd won student government, president, 4.0, beautiful girlfriend. And I looked in the mirror and I saw a man what felt like without a soul. I felt empty, exposed. I felt like an imposter. I felt like that scripture of you won the world and you lost your soul. And I actually had a fear that I would die that night. And it was a conversion of sorts of going, if I, if I encounter God, I don't know what I will say because I've built a life for 18 years for myself at which I'm the center And I knew the answer was God, but all the pictures of God that I found were just unattractive. They they weren't synonymous with life and they weren't synonymous with the masculine soul. We always gravitate towards the biggest story we can find. And so I went to college and over time I had fallen, I, I, I met Christ and came into his kingdom and had a radical conversion. But what I'd say is I was still a man in it with a boy on the inside. 
I was still uninitiated. I was still unfathered. And so the next 20 years are the story of me choosing to consent to the path and process of becoming a son to the father and becoming a man through a process of initiation that dealt with a lot of excavation, a lot of delving into my woundedness, dealing with the agreements that I've made with lies from the enemy Mm -hmm. and coming into who God meant when he meant me. And so that's where Ransom Heart and Wild at Heart, John Eldridge coming to play. I met John 22 years ago and he was in a very holy place where he had just lost his best friend who he wrote Sacred Romance with, Brent Curtis, in the Mm -hmm. first Wild at Heart event, climbing accident. I met him three months later and by God's grace, he kept his heart open to masculine friendship and Wild at Heart was just written and uh, men were coming from all over. And so he asked me to come with him, but I took a lower seat to be... um, to serve older men, to enter apprenticeship, to risk a different path. And so the last 20 years has been mostly about that. And so I find myself with the privilege of being offered opportunities to influence men, shape them, mentor them. But all of it was kind of an upside down way from the kingdom. And so mm-hmm. I'm, uh, my heart is well, it's as good as it's ever been. And I'm still a man under construction. That's where I am today. <laughs> For sure. We all are. You know, the just as the name of my work implies, you know, a new kind of man or the new kind of man podcast, it implies change. So we all, I think if we're going to grow, we need to grow and in, in to seek change. And of course, the, biz, the, the biggest change that I think that someone can get, undergo is what you talked about, Morgan, is spiritual change. You know, I think we can we can do so many things physically. We can gain some intellectual knowledge. We can even maybe, you know, we can study out emotional intelligence. But yet, if we're lacking the spiritual component, we're not complete. And, and the work at A New Kind of Man is centered on Luke 2.52, that Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and in favor with man. So out of these four things, I think that we need to continue to grow in these areas. And I believe what is promised with this spiritual life is a fully integrated man fully integrated man. So of these four pillars that a man is, com- but he's a man is only complete when, when God has, has completely <laughs> engulfed him spiritually. And when he's given his life to God, so he's not just out serving his own purpose. And, and that's what men do when they operate as boys, right? Be- because boys are selfish. And yet I think that there's this, this transition, and, and maybe this is the transition that led you into this work all these years ago, of going from man, you know, being a man, but the mentality of a boy, and then stepping into the masculine, your masculine space, and yes. into change. So I know that really this book has been the culmination of two decades you know, it's becoming a king. And, and I love the humility that you wrote it with. I love the stories. I, I love how you just, you're open with what's going on in your life throughout this journey. And I think it's, it's written well. And I love um, how any man, really, if you read it, you can just find yourself in it and also find the pathway to become a king. So why, why did you write this book now? Yeah, Chad, there's a, first of all, thank you. It's very honoring. Um, there's a lot in that. And just to, to honor what you shared and to unpack it a little bit, when you, I love the phrase fully integrated. It's beautiful. And it takes me to a story, you know, in this, um, 
I want to respond to the last piece you said and tie it into the first piece of fully integrated. Mm -hmm. But I found myself a young man who loved God, who was um, found a disconnect between my external life and my internal life. Mm -hmm. So externally, I was serving God, trying to love people, ministering to guys around the world, young marriage, young kids, young career, and it looked very attractive like an iceberg, 10% you can see and 90% below the waterline. It's fascinating because all icebergs have that in common. No two are alike, but every one of them, 10% of their volume is visible. 90% is invisible. Wow. The invisible in my life, Chad, there were, there were check engine lights going on. Hmm. Things were not okay. There was a sense of fear. There was a sense of always feeling behind. Hmm. A sense of life is up to me always this incessant building. I couldn't even have named it, but it was, you need to build, build a career, build a name for yourself, build a little money, just get something going. So I started turning to old, to, well, I first turned to God and said, God, I'm in pain. I've got a disconnect. I need life. Your offer is life. Where do I find it? How do I make it last? What are the pitfalls? What is a man's life about to be, supposed to be in his initiation? And God was silent for about two weeks. And the silence was important, Chad, because it took me into a deeper place of really sitting with questions, which are the centerpiece of our kingdom discipleship. And after about two weeks, I sensed God saying, I want to speak to you, but I'm going to do it through older men. So find the oldest, wisest men you know and start asking your questions. And so I sat down with a pen and a paper and wrote, what's the most important thing? What can I learn from you and your story? And over two years time, I received letters and conversations from over 75 men and gleaned some beautiful treasures. And to tie it back in, and becoming a king was the fruit of that in my ministry and become good soil for the last 10 years. But to tie it back to your comment about fully integrated and the spiritual life, one of those mentors in that time, it was a guy in his 70s, he had flown into Colorado from Australia to meet with two of his mentors. So you just think about that. You're sitting with a man in his 70s who has a beginner's mind, who has the postures you talked about with a new kind of man, wisdom's long view, constant growth. Mm-hmm. And his son was just killed a month before this, crushed by a bulldozer in front of his eyes. Oh, man. And I sat with this man over barbecue. And I don't remember a lot of his words, but I remember what I felt in his presence. In his eyes was life. His body was tired. His shoulders were a bit sunken, but he was alive. He had joy. He had his best days ahead. And he made a comment. He said, in time, our inward life is intended to grow beyond our outward life. That that journey you talked about in Luke 2.52 of maturing is a constancy of inward growing to exceed our outward. Mm-hmm. And that's such good news, right? The scripture, though outwardly, we actually are wasting away, mm-hmm. right? People put on their COVID-19. People are wearing the weight of the world. Mm-hmm. Inwardly, we are intended to be renewed. Increase in maturity, increase in wholeheartedness, increase in capacity to walk with God. And so I believe it's possible. I believe that it's available to every human being. 
I believe that few in the long run, Chad, actually choose it. It's always been so, generation after generation. And so my mission was how do I recover it? And how do I become the kind of person that God can entrust with the care of his kingdom? Where, as you said, I'm not a boy that's taking my question. So using my power and my kingdom to answer my need, but instead I've become a man that knows who I am, that has a validation, that has a connection with God and can wield strength and power on behalf of love um, for other people. And so Become Good Soil was the fruit of that, offering intensive events, working with like-hearted leaders, and offering blogs and podcasts with ways of cultivating, curating, distilling this ancient path and making it available to others. And then becoming a king was the result of those two decades. God saying, I want you to make this message available to the many and so that we can find the few in our age. You, you mentioned in the book about choosing excavation over building. And I think this, that was such a valuable piece. A couple of things came to mind is in my time in Italy, when I went to Pisa in the Leaning Tower, which it's yeah. commonly referred to as the Leaning Tower of Letdown, actually, <laughs> around my house. Because when I saw the Leaning Tower of Pisa, I expected it to be much bigger than what it was. And it's not yeah. actually that big. It's impressive because it's sideways. <laughs> You know, interesting. But yeah, the best thing about the Leaning Tower of Pisa is actually the cathedral that's next to it, which I've got a cool story there too. I, we actually got chased out of there, but that's <laughs> like, cool. Yeah, but I, so the imagery of the Leaning Tower of Pisa and just you know the foundational issue and um, what they didn't do was the excavation work. So the soil underneath it actually started to collapse. It wasn't strong enough to hold it. So that image came to mind just as many times God speaks to me and he gives me an image. And it's something that is just something I can recall. And I know because of the reading of, you know, because of this book that you are uh, are a student of Dallas Willard. And these are the types of things that Dallas Willard talks about of recalling images and the renovation of the heart, I think, is when he starts talking about this, the, the power that images actually have for good or evil in our life. Yes. So. So that's the image that comes to mind, but then also just this idea of excavating over building. Why do you think as men, we're so tempted to start building before we do any excavating work? Oh, it's a very important question. It's one of the central questions actually about masculinity. I'm glad you asked because when we look into the story of all stories, you know, we live in a forest and we're amongst trees that we can barely see the the vis, the you know the vista and the mm-hmm. landscape we have to back up and see the entirety of it to understand the story in which we live it's central to masculine initiation mm-hmm. what is the story in which we live because the heart will gravitate towards the biggest and best story it can find you just watch human nature you watch your children you watch adults whatever they're doing, it's because it's the biggest and best story they've found. And most of the time it has nothing to do with God. And so in the story of all stories, God does this wildly creative work of of creation, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, making darkness and light and land and sea and birds and animals. And then he does just the most audacious thing of he creates man in our image, right? In the image of the Trinity, male and female, he created them. And then 
he sets them as stewards over all of his creation. He says, I invite you to rule. I bless you to subdue the earth, to exercise my heart, my intentions, my personality over all of creation, to co-create, to participate with him. We're invited to rule, to build. We bear the image of God and God is the great master builder. And so what I want to suggest is building being endowed with power in very gender-specific ways is the Imago Dei. It's the image of God in us. At core, it's very good, very holy. Now, what we do with it is an entirely different question. You know, and you mentioned Dallas Ware, and he's been a holy mentor and a sage in this. And he says that the primary work of God is finding men in whom he can entrust his power. The story of most men is being entrusted with power and it bringing harm to themselves and those under their care. Mm-hmm. And when I look at the headlines yesterday, I Googled headlines, top, top 10 headlines, seven of them were centrally about the mishandling of power, the wow. misuse of power. It's, it's, it's very universal reality in a fallen world. Mm-hmm. And so I think what we find is we have uninitiated people, particularly men, unhealed men, which have boys on the inside, and they are acting out their kingdom mandate to become builders, but they've not yet become the kind of person that can handle it. We have too much kingdom and not enough character, and we live in a culture that is so um, so much welcomes shortcuts. It welcomes quick, easy, cheap, hit the easy button, right? We can get anything we want delivered to our doorstep in two days Mm -hmm. with a couple clicks. It's madness for understanding what the soul needs and the way things work in the kingdom. And so I think it's important to understand that left to our own means in a fallen world, we end up with too much kingdom and not enough character. And then when things blow up, when the storm comes, it reveals the, the lack of depth and breadth of the roots of the tree. When the drought comes, it reveals the lack of depth of a tap root that taps into the table water. And so it's not until the shaking comes that we reveal the condition of things that aren't seen, that is to say the spiritual life. And so I believe the invitation of the gospel from gleaning it from these mentors is an upside down kingdom where instead of building, the invitation is allow God to excavate so that we can have a foundation that's very different than the leaning tower of letdown, which could be (laughs) the story of most men's kingdoms, Yes, right? I don't want on my grave marker, Chad, He was a leaning tower of letdown Mm. and it doesn't have to be our story. Mm. Amen. When I think that, you know, even the first three chapters of the Bible really talk about the answer to the question that I posed, it's the building aspect of it. It's just, that's what we were made to do, you know, to have dominion, exercise dominion and God has given us some authority in the world to be able to go do things and build, build cultures and, and to shape the landscape of society. And yet, because of what happened just two chapters later in the Bible, I think is the reason why we need the excavation. 
without yes. sin, you know, if, if sin wasn't introduced into humanity, we wouldn't need to excavate. We would be, we would be able to glorify God in everything that we did. And, and yes. this, the world would be, I think, so drastically different than what it is today. So I love the fact that you say we need to excavate. Yes. And it, because of that, it gets into, into setting us free from the things that sin has so entangled us with. Yes. And yet it's so important, particularly with working with men is to say out loud and still sin is not the deepest thing because so often in a Christian culture, a religious culture, we start with sin and beat people over with should have ought try harder, even to the point of you need to be a good dad. You need to be a good husband. And it comes as pressure of I'm blowing it when what we must uh, enter with is if it's true that the mandate is to rule that we were meant to be builders that it's god's design we have to start with the reality that the most important thing about any human person is that they bear the image of god mm -hmm. the most true thing is not their sin it's not their brokenness That's it's right. not the warfare it's that they bear the image of god and so we have to start with desire because mm -hmm. when we start there then we can go on a mission of recovering the gold but when our identity is sinner saved by grace, we'll never have victory. We'll never live beyond it. But when our identity becomes, we know that we're sons. We know that we bear the image of God. We know that the truest thing about us is our strength and that what we want in the core of our DNA is to be whole and well and filled with love, love for ourselves love for God and love for others, then it, it changes the energy and we can respond to a God that's orchestrating that restoration. Amen. Amen. And I, I, I agree with that. And, and you know, the, the idea of in Genesis one and two and God creating in male and female, each one, the masculine to display something about the image of God, the feminine to display something about the image of God. This goes back to something else I, I think about all the time. And actually, I've helped men with this. And really, I've just helped people generally with this idea. And it's, it's rooted in a book, uh, Laser, L-A-A-S-E-R. That's actually the author. I think it's a husband and wife team. They co-authored this book called Seven Desires. And I'm not going to go through all the seven desires, but I will go through two. And I think this speaks right into what you're talking about, Morgan. And what they talk about in the book is we have the, the desire to be blessed and we have the desire to be affirmed. And those are two different things. And what we tend to do is we jump into affirm, but yet affirmation has to do with performance. It's necessary. Like if, if you know our kids do something well, we need to know, hey, or they need to know rather, hey, they did it right. But blessing has to do with personhood. Yes. And the idea of blessing, that is that is the, the image of God. That is that we bear the image of God. This is the it doesn't matter who you are, what planet, you know, what, wherever you are, what continent you're on, if whatever happens in what language you speak, we all are displaying the image of God. And it's just a yeah. powerful thing. And that's the personhood piece. And I yes. love how they talk about that in that book, because they say, when you get back to personhood, this becoming the, the poor, the, just the, the point of foundation. And it sounds like this is something very similar to what you that you actually write about, because to become a king, you say you, we first have to understand that we're sons. Why did you yes. say that was so important? 
Yeah, you're you're on to treasures, Chad. You really are because fundamentally, when my experience is I was a young man looking at older men, and that was one of the counsels of, of one of these elders. He said, find older men and ask, where did they get taken out? Where did it go sideways and why so? It was such a kind, non-judgmental, but purely gathering data to understand what goes wrong. Because the idea was no one starts out wanting to train wreck their life. Just look at little boys and look at little girls and see their hearts just explayed open to the world. Mm -hmm. No one starts out wanting, uh, you know, to land in a cul-de-sac or a pit. Mm -hmm. And what I came to find out, Chad, that resonated with my experience was that fundamentally when you encounter most men, if you could get to the core beliefs, and I'm talking about below theology, right? Mm -hmm. Dallas Willard said, our actions reveal belief 100% of the time. Mm -hmm. So if you want to know what your true theology is, just set your religious doctrine aside and look at your actions over a day over a month, over, over an hour, over a year. And that will tell you your operating core beliefs. It's a very helpful exercise. And fundamentally, my experience, Chad, is most men operate with a sense of life is up to me. Mm-hmm. Whatever I need to do, I need to make it happen. And I am on my own. And that simply is not a gospel reality. That is not even the life that Jesus lived in. When we see Christ, whatever else we observe, he is always at every moment modeling for us what it looks like to live as a son. Mm -hmm. He lived strength through dependency, Mm -hmm. utter dependence on his father. And that's why at the, at the, the crescendo of his life, he's crying out to his father, 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 I pray that my men, my apprentices, my women, that they would be one with you, Father, mm-hmm. one with your mind, as I am one with you in my mind, one with your heart, as I am one with you in my heart. Could you imagine what it would be like to be so united with the living God that your mind was the mind of God, that mm-hmm. your heart was the heart of God, that nothing we did was de- independent of the Father, that when you saw me, you saw the father. That's what's available in the Christian life. And it changes everything because the fundamental shift moves from what Brene Brown, I love, she uses this frame, calling it engineering smallness. Mm -hmm. As long as you're the center of your story, no matter how noble it is, it's a very small story. Mm -hmm. And fundamentally, it's about you. But we were born into a story at which God is meant to be the centerpiece. Mm -hmm. We are welcomed. We are blessed. Mm-hmm. It's not up to us. And we have a significant role in that story that God's work is to initiate and ours is to respond. And so I believe that at core of the gospel is a blessing. And it's a blessing that comes from the heart of, the, of God. We bear the image of God as man and as woman. And so I believe from these headwaters of gender, we are blessed by a father and that says, You have what it takes. And we are blessed by a mother that says you are worthy of love and belonging because you exist. And when you encounter a soul that's maturing in belief that they are blessed, not because of what they do, 
-hmm. but because of who they are and a soul that knows that they have the affirmation of a father's blessing that says, son, daughter, you are the real deal. It's in you. Mm -hmm. Blessed. Go. I trust you. You'll find a person that brings their strength and dignity to the world rather than bringing their question. But it has to start there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's that's amazing. And and you know the sad thing about it is this, and I can even track this back, Morgan. I can track this back in my own life. There's been so many years where I operated as an orphan. I, I'm not orphaned. I, you know, my my parents divorced when I was four, but that created a narrative in my mind that I was orphaned. And my mom yes. left. And my How did you know that, Chad? I just I'm curious. Like you op, you said you operate as an orphan. Mm-hmm. Help me understand. How did you come to understand that about your life? Um, it's a, actually an interesting thing because I, and I say this over and over and over, and, and people have asked me a similar question, and it goes back to this. I learned how to be a father by being fathered by God. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. when my son was in utero, and then after that, I I didn't grow up in church, so I actually grew up Catholic, far from church, but it was inconsistent Catholic. So it wasn't even, it wasn't, I mean, it was just kind of being dropped off, you know, different on different Sundays. So there was nothing displayed of faith in the home. And because of my parents divorcing when I was four, and then my mother actually left, she remarried and married somebody who went into the Navy when I was 12. So then she, I mean, she just up and left. So then I, I felt like I was orphaned twice. I felt like I was just left behind. My mom left twice. And so then after finding out I was going to be a father, I was like, I had no idea how to do it. So then I started to lean into, uh, actually, I started to lean into a very powerful book called The Father Connection by Josh McDowell. And I started to understand that what I wanted and what I desired was love and acceptance and nearness and I wanted to be heard. I was a middle child. I felt like I've never been heard. And so that created all sorts of narratives in me to where I felt like I had to keep striving, performing. I had to show myself. And honestly, this even went into, into adulthood of just trying to, I was like, I, I would say it in this way. It's almost like I'm competing against a shadow man. Wow. That's, it was, that is a very powerful statement. And, and I've, I've come to understand this you know, as God healed me, but the journey began with me. And really when I gave my life to Christ, it was through this understanding that I could not be a father on my own. And then I started to dig into, um, into the word and seeing that, wow, you know, I had a father the whole time who loved me and accepted me, appreciated me, was willing to listen to me that I wasn't forgotten. I wasn't forsaken and I wasn't abandoned. Instead I was adopted. Yes. This is a, this is a profound shift. And so it, to describe, um, I'm curious, what was the shift inside the internal? Here I was, Chad, the orphan, though you probably couldn't have named it at the time. No. So this is what Chad feels like as son. Hmm. So you're saying what did it, what, what, what was happening what's in that the, time? Yeah, what's the fruit of it, both either internally in your experience of life or externally of what hmm. comes out of that? Hmm. Well, I can tell you because it, for our listeners, I think sometimes it's hard to access that. Sometimes it's like the idea of being fathered by God sounds really attractive, mm-hmm. but it also sounds like, huh, where do I start? 
Mm-hmm. And what and, and, and what is it worth it, right? Mm-hmm. Like, and so just to give an example of it's the you shall know it by its fruit. Mm-hmm. So what is the fruit? Mm-hmm. Yeah, for me, it was rooted in in two almost cliche words that I dare not use, but they're, they're used so much right now. For one is identity. I didn't know who I was. So the thing that I started to understand is that my identity was not just in myself. And if it it was in myself, it wasn't in my broken self from my upbringing. Instead, it was in who God says that I was. And out of that identity, it started to flow a purpose. So then I wanted to, and then I would explore the scriptures and I would look at Ephesians 5 and I, and I I would go into the at the end of Ephesians five. And I would say, that's the kind of man that I wanted to be for my wife. I wanted to love her like Christ loved the church. Okay. That's, that's purpose. So I didn't have, I didn't have all the understandings of all that, but I had a, I had an identity now that I wasn't because I mean, that's the thing about being orphaned, right? It's like, you don't know who, who am I? Who am I connected to? It's, it's the orphan part of it. It's like, it's, it's loneliness. I love how I think it's in Psalm 68, verse six, it says God sits alone in families. Yes. That's such a powerful thing. And so I started to kind of gather these types of things and realize that I was grasping for, for pieces of identity. I went into the Navy and I was like, I think now I was looking for, hey, now veteran, this is going to be my identity. This is going to be the high calling for me. This is what it's going to be. And, you know, if I wear a flag, people are going to say this and this and this about about me serving. And I, I proudly served, but I realize now that that is not the identity that I needed. Right. And because I could still be a part of all that, but still feel alone because there was nothing yes. internal there was, that it was exactly. a spiritual longing, not just a relational longing. Yes. Yeah. The, the battle continues against the shadow man. Right. Yes. And that's why I hope that your listeners are hearing is that, it creates a condition where we are never at rest. Mm. We are always having to do something to, to try to feel good. Yes. Right? That's what addiction is, is simply trying to change the way we feel. Mm. We medicate to change how we feel mm-hmm. in its most simple terms. And that's where to come into a process and a path mm-hmm. of discipleship, apprenticeship, to engage in the slow and steady, to come to Jeremiah 616, where it says, sons, daughters, you stand at the crossroads. Mm-hmm. Ask. Ask is an important word. What are your questions, son? What is it that you want? Where are you? Where are you going? Would you like some help with that? Ask for the ancient path and you will find rest for your soul. And the rest is the seat of strength through dependency, strength through maturing um, union with God, strength through increasing wholeheartedness. Mm -hmm. And that's where we truly do become the kind of person that becomes attentive. We become curious to God. God, what is your intention for me? What is your unique story that you have for me? And when you talk about these four pillars, what I so appreciate about that approach, Chad, is God is after the restoration of the entire human person. Mm -hmm. He doesn't compartmentalize. Mm -hmm. And over time, it all becomes spiritual. Our mind becomes spiritual. Our body becomes Mm -hmm. spiritual. 
our thinking, our imagination, our stuff becomes spiritual. Mm -hmm. And that's where it's beautiful to have the hope that it's actually God that's interested in entrusting us with more and more. Mm -hmm. And the story of men blowing up is not that we can't handle it. It's that we've not become the kind of person that can handle that sort of kingdom. And so that's why Jesus in his kindness says, what needs to be pruned? sons and daughters, mm -hmm. because there are branches of your kingdom that are too heavy, that are ill-fitting, that are not bearing fruit, mm -hmm. and they need to be cut off. And there are branches that are bearing fruit, but they need to be pruned because my intention is for them to be more fruitful. It's God's heart. He is championing mm -hmm. our hearts and our stories. Yeah, absolutely. You talk about something in the book, and and I think this is I think it was kind of daring for you to mention this idea in the book, quite honestly, because culturally there's a phenomenon with mastery. It's like have mastery of this and have mastery of that. And if you do, you know, the, the 10,000 hours, you know, Malcolm Gladwell, and it's like 10,000 hours, you're going to have mastery. And yet you don't dabble in that at all. Instead, you use a different word that seems to be at odds with mastery. But I was very thankful that you use the word generalist. Mm. Mm. So, so what is a generalist and why is that valuable for us to become a king? Those are deep waters and it's a good question. We have to understand that we're all born into a culture. We're born into a very specific moment in human history. And, and we don't have the time to unpack it now, but fundamentally for at least 95% of human history, humans on the earth, most likely more like 99% of human history, we were hunters and gatherers. It wasn't until ancient Mesopotamia, at a certain time in history, around 3200 BC, we became farmers. And it wasn't until the 1700s that there was this massive change in humanity called the Industrial Revolution, the invention of the combustion engine, which you know very well from being in the Navy, right? Mm -hmm. The the idea of steel and the idea of leverage of massive power massive information leveraging travel transportation that's taken us into our information age so we live in a very unique time in history and it's the age of exponential growth more and more faster and faster there's a lot more to say i actually have a very beautiful podcast on that on Become Good Soil called What If Margin Could Save the World mm -hmm. from being mentored by Richard Swenson that wrote Margin. But for this moment, what I would suggest is we are born into a culture that idolizes information over wisdom, mm -hmm. that idolizes youth over wisdom's long view that creates elders of recovering an ancient path. And so we actually put all of our emphasis on becoming specialists, becoming fierce masters of one thing. But here's the problem. That's important. Every person, I believe, bears the unique image of God. It's the anomatso. It's our new name. It's revelations. It's what's bestowed on us that has the luminosity of the kingdom of heaven that's known only to God and to us. That's true. But that unique expression was meant to be seated on what we share universally. And what we all share in common is that we bear the image of God as men or as women. 
And there are things that God intended for every woman to know, to embody about God by becoming fully a woman. There are things that God meant for us to embody and know about God and express by being fully men. What happens is when we skip that stage of developing all the parts of us, we don't have the foundation to become the specialist. And so what you have, for example, is you have a pastor that becomes a, a bully in a pulpit. He becomes a very intellectual person about theological um, accolades. And he actually is a man that cannot be trusted with the hearts of human beings. Because mm. though he has a strong intellect and he has a high maturity in one area, he has parts of his masculine soul that are atrophied. You know, it's been said that never trust a man who can't dance. Mm -hmm. There's something important about being able to play. It's been said that the outside of a horse is often the most important thing for the inside of a man. Mm -hmm. To learn a little bit about a lot of things develops the whole of a man. It's like taking a cast off a broken arm. And even though the bone is healed, the muscles have atrophied. And part of going from boyhood to manhood is having a mastery over the entirety of our domain. But because we live in a time in history of specialization, we end up having stuff, having realm that we don't have an, a working knowledge of how to handle it. Handle it. Mm -hmm. A man should know how to fix a broken mower, a broken toilet and a broken heart. And so I believe the invitation to become a generalist is to lay the foundation in which we can be a specialist. And it's not a caricature. This doesn't mean you have to become an alligator hunter in Florida to be a man, okay? You don't have to move to Colorado. It's where do you feel uncomfortable? Yeah. Where do you feel, particularly around other men, a sense of fear, of disqualified, of immature, of exposed. For the man who works with his hands, he has to go to a white linen cloth meal and learn how to handle all those forks and all those spoons, <laughs> For sure. all those glasses, right? For a man's man, he needs to go to a woman's world and ask some questions about a heart of a woman. For a man who can handle himself on a golf course and in a boardroom, he needs to get under his toilet and learn how that thing works. And there's something that gets healed in the soul of a man when he understands the foundation must come before the specialization. Well said. Yeah, and I think this goes back to ultimately the, the purpose for man. It goes back to Genesis 1, made in the image of God. There's a masculine thread that's woven through us. And part of that is dominion exercising dominion and God-given authority. And these are areas that we have authority and dominion. Your toilet, if it breaks, you know, to figure it out and realize that not every guy is going to be able to do everything perfectly. There's times to call, just call a plumber. But at the end of the day, a guy shouldn't, yeah, a guy shouldn't just automatically call a plumber and think, ah, oh, well, that's just the easiest, you know, that's the easiest thing to do. I mean, that's the problem, right? It's the easiest right, well, thing to do. <laughs> exactly. We are, I mean, we are in this place in, you know, in time and culture right now. It's like, whatever the easiest thing is to do, that's the thing that I'm going to do. 
Right. We're hardwired for the easy button in our culture, but that's not where we came from. And the soul knows that. So I promise you, if you're willing to just, and and you ask the father, the question, our listeners out there is where do I feel uncomfortable as a man? Where do I feel out of place? And if you go there over time, I believe that something will heal and be strengthened. There's a dignity that's restored. Maybe it's taking over your yard work, if only for a season. Maybe it's taking over some of the work of your budget if your wife's always done it. And if you've always done it, maybe it's giving the budget over to her. Mm -hmm. The idea is something gets healed. And yes, I'm not saying every man needs to fix his toilet every time it breaks, but it feels far different to invite someone else to help serve you by fixing your toilet when you know how to do it, Mm. but you're discerning about God's intention for your time, Mm. then acquiescing and turning to other people to fix things that are entrusted to your care, which you know not enough about. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this, this just speaks into the really the larger kind of category to be a King is to be able to handle responsibility and to in just in the way that we think about a King and a kingdom. I mean, much has been entrusted to us. We are, if, if we are in Christ, we are apprentices. We are, we are Jesus's apprentices. Yes. We have, we're in sharing with this kingdom. It's like when Jesus left, it's like the kingdom of God is within us. We are, we are people about the kingdom. And I don't know who said it first, but it's, but it's something along the lines of, you know, the citizen of heaven should make the best citizen of earth. Absolutely. Right. Because we're stewards all of this. Right. Mm -hmm. And Lewis said that heaven, the restoration of all things was meant to be the consummation Mm. of our earthly apprenticeship. Next Friday night, I'm going to flip the keys to a Toyota Highlander 2001, I believe, to my son. And it's his car. He's bought it. He's paid the price. He's done the work. But I hold the keys. And on that day, I'm going to hand him the keys and say, son, I bless you. I trust you. There is great power now that you yield with this vehicle. There's a leverage of your power. There's an extension of your kingdom and you're ready, it is my joy to give this to you. It's not without risk, but this is a good risk because you've become the kind of 16-year-old that can be entrusted with the keys to this piece of God's kingdom. Wow, excellent. Well, Morgan, this has been a great conversation, and this, uh, I can tell the men who are listening that you need to read this book. Becoming a King has really helped me a lot. And I would say this specifically, and hopefully you agree with this, Morgan. I'm certainly not trying to offend you. But uh, to me, I thought that this was a great, uh, it's it's like second level from Wild at Heart. Uh, to me, mm-hmm. it's thematically some of the things that, that John talks about in Wild at Heart, about the false self and the poser and these kinds of things. It's like this book goes, it goes further into that. As a matter of fact, that's what I was telling my wife a couple of days ago. I said, this book's been so refreshing because it goes even further into, into the stories that we've believed. So it's, some of it is common language. And another thing that I would just say for the listeners, because there's a lot of guys that I'm around, we, uh, we liked Alice Willard and just kind of learning about that and just spiritual formation. 
those kinds of pieces. I thought that this was a necessary book for Christian manhood because what you do is you bring in the spiritual formation pieces into the man space. And mm. truthfully, it's the first book that I've read that did. So mm. I just want to say thanks, Morgan. Where can people get this book? Yeah, that's a profound compliment. I'm really honored by that because mm. that was my um, heart's intention to offer what mm. I have lived. Because um, mm. I believe that's where integrity comes from. That's where anointing comes from. So much of us know more than we've lived. And mm. so much is what we need is to allow our living to catch up with our knowing. Mm. Um, there's a lot more. Yeah, I'm, I'm filled with hope. It's, an, it's, it's, it's very joyful and strengthening, Chad, to be with you and to be with your tribe today. And I do pray blessing. That is to say, I will what is good for God in the lives of your tribe. Mm -hmm. And we're just getting started. There's so much more. This has all just been an introduction. And if God is moving in you, that any of this resonates, um, yeah, you can find with Becoming a King, there's a beautiful video series that's a great on-ramp into this. There's an in-depth study guide to go even deeper. And there's blogs, podcasts. It's all available at becomingaking.com. Awesome. Awesome. Becomingaking.com. So there you are, men. If, if you have been intrigued, you've liked what you heard, and maybe you were challenged, or, or there was a, a question that was spurred that didn't get answered, it will when you read the book. So becomingaking.com. Again, thank you, Morgan. Really have appreciated our time together, and it's been really insightful for me personally. So on a personal basis, I want to say thanks. Thanks for listening to the New Kind of Man podcast. You've been given some good manly encouragement, and now it's your turn. If you found today's content helpful, go tell a friend and please leave us a review. Also, consider hitting that subscribe button so you don't miss a single episode. Now it's time for all of us to do what Theodore Roosevelt said. Create. Act. Get action. Do things. Be sane. Don't fritter away your time. Take a place wherever you are and be somebody. Get action.